Thank you, Pastor Dave. Good morning. I'm Bobby Hoops, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, anger, chemical dependency issues, and physical emotional pain. I deployed for Iraq in 2005, as quite a few of you know. My first few missions through Iraq went smooth enough. We only received small arms fire, but just as my confidence was increasing, we began to get hit with IEDs, small arms fire, sniper fire, roadside bombs, and mortar attacks. I was not sleeping more than two hours a night. I was surprised and disturbed by many things. However, I worked through them with the help of prayer and encouragement from home. While on mission one night, a member of my team was struck by a vehicle loading ramp. It was, a, it was horrible. He died a painful death, and I'm still trying to forget it. On my last mission, the vehicle in front of mine caught fire and was stopping. While separated from the rest of the convoy, I jumped from my truck with all, all my gear, my weapon, and a uh, fire extinguisher. When I jumped, I fell from about five feet, and I landed on my back on some rocks. At first, I didn't notice that I was hurt. A few days later, I could not walk or sit up straight. Doctors identified me as having a uh, back injury and prescribed me muscle relaxers, pain pills for the trip home. I was considered one of the walking wounded. I arrived home in February of 2006. You'd think that I would have been happy to be home. I was just in time for the uh, birth of our daughter. My son was about to have a birthday but all was not well with me inside. At first, it seemed like I had readjustment problems. However, instead of seeking help, I began abusing alcohol and the uh, prescription drugs to manage my pain, my moods, and to handle my feelings. Everything was getting worse and out of control. I felt emotionally numb and detached. I was angry all the time. I was easily startled, not sleeping, and on guard all the time. The uh, lack of sleep was making me crazy, or at least that's how I felt, as I screamed at my wife, my children, those I worked for, and those I worked with. It, it became apparent after going to a doctor that I was not going crazy or having a nervous breakdown, but I had post-traumatic stress disorder. Some of the uh, medication for treating the post-traumatic stress disorder almost killed me. After feeling uh, desperate and anxious one day, I accidentally took a lethal dose of prescription medication. I alerted my leadership, and they sent a chaplain to talk to me. I reached and found a bottom that day, and Jesus was there to bring me through it. Instead of an overdose death, I realized that I was dead to sin, and I found life through Jesus Christ. I surrendered to his will, and uh, he forgave me. I was introduced to uh, Celebrate Recovery in November of 2008. Um, I was told that they needed leadership help. At first, I only thought that I was there to help fix others. I discovered that maybe this would help some of my needs and some of my problems. Well, it has. Um, my heart and my mind changed. I realized that I was addicted to pain medication. God has released this from me as an addiction. Although I'm feeling better and looking better, I do so only through the grace of God. I still take medications, but only in moderation and as prescribed. I feel like I've been given yet another chance at life. My favorite part of Celebrate Recovery has been uh, the introduction to a personal walk with Jesus Christ. I love the men's small group and the uh, men's step study. There's a passage that I, that I love, and, and it really... Um, explains the relationship of our small group, but it's Ecclesiastes 4.12, and it's, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I finally have friends that love me, and I them. God's grace is amazing. I didn't die to my own hands, multiple missions in Iraq, or even a failed suicide attempt. God has been with me the whole time. Joel 2.25 says, I'll repay you for, for the uh, years that the locusts have eaten. And God is rebuilding my life. When I lost faith, he restored me. When I lost my way, he guided me. When I was scared, he held me. 
And when I sinned, he forgave me. God has lifted these addictions from me, and the cycle has been broken. My wife has faithfully stood by me, and the relationship with her and my children has been restored. I know God's grace, it's, it's God's grace that has healed me, and through his mercy, I've been saved and forgiven. I'm here today to encourage anyone with hurts, habits, and hang-ups to come join us. Um, just as difficult and nervous as I am speaking to you today, it's, uh, it's just as bad, I guess, trying to walk across the parking lot and come in to celebrate recovery for the first time. But you will be welcomed. Just understand and believe me that you're not alone. Celebrate Recovery is a safe place to share. If you'd like to hear the rest of my story, um, come join me on May 10th at 6.30 here at uh, Grace Bible Church. Thank you for allowing me to share. Great way to start. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the new life you give us. Lord, as we sing, as we gather to worship you, I pray that you would work through us. Um, that these would not just be uh, beautiful, poetic things that we shout together, but that we would start to really believe them. That you would help us to, uh, to take back our position as, as leaders of creation, praising you and honoring you and bringing glory to you. Lord, that we would awaken the rest of the world as it talks about in Romans 8. The, the world is groaning, just waiting and creaking and crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to come into our own as your children, to reflect you, your love and justice in this world. pray that it would start right now as we sing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. Y'all will stand. We get to proclaim God as the creator and as our savior, so let's sing out together.
you'll bow your heads with me, I'm going to read from Psalm 73 and we'll join in a time of confession. Uh, we're not only a people that praises God, but we're also a people that doesn't try to hide who we really are and confesses that before him. Listen to these words. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When my soul was embittered, when my heart was pricked, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, we confess that we often rely on our own strength. And we often envy the strength of others. Lord, we also confess that you're a forgiving God that draws us back to yourself. You forgive our sins of trusting in, in false saviors. And you come to us as our true Savior, and we put our hope in you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live life fully in, in faith, fully in trust, walking in your strength, not depending on our own flesh that fails us, but depending on your strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. No. 
stand as a church and sing together. Glory Thank you for this chance. God, to sing your praise. God, and to join together with other people who are evidence of your power, God. We pray that you will help us to be proof of your existence and your power in our lives, God, your power to save. We pray that you will help us to listen now, God. Change us from the inside out. Help us to show our love for you and obedience.
It's your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're continuing our series in Timothy. If you don't have one, we have some you can follow along with uh, in the chairs. We're on page 996 in those black Bibles that you'll find under the chair. You're welcome to follow along with us there. Uh, We've called our series Carry On. And we've talked about how 2 Timothy is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote. He's writing to Timothy to, to charge and encourage him to keep it going. We looked in Titus at this counterculture that God is creating in us, this new city, this new community, this community based on truth instead of the lie of the serpent that was told in the Garden of Eden that we can do life on our own. It won't kill us. We can be our own gods. We don't need God and and that life will be better that way. Uh, But we've all found that over, you know, thousands of years of history to not be true. And so as God's people, we're called to rebuild our lives on a relationship with God, on a restored relationship with God that that he grants us based on forgiveness and his coming to us and forgiving us and restoring us. And so Paul is telling Timothy to keep this going, to not just let it stop there with with one church or with one city, but keep it moving, keep it going, and keep spreading it. And so a lot of his focus has been on what kind of leaders should lead the church, and this week we're going to focus especially on the wrong kind of leaders. We're going to get this contrast with the wrong kind of leaders. You You have transparent leaders that stick to the truth and and as we saw a few weeks ago, that are, that are faithfully guarding the truth and faithfully pointing people to Jesus that are, that are cutting straight was kind of one of the terms he used a couple of, about a chapter ago. Uh, but then there's the other leaders who are pretenders, who are saying that it's based on their secret knowledge, their special power, their special skills, and that you need to follow them because they've got something that other people don't have. And there were a lot of mystery religions at the time of the New Testament. Mystery religions were these cults that were based on secret information, secret knowledge, and, and you were either an insider or an outsider. And what's interesting is throughout the New Testament, that term mystery is turned on its head because the Bible tells us that the mystery, that the secret knowledge of a relationship with God is, is revealed. It's not kept secret anymore, but it's revealed in Jesus Christ, that the door is opened. We see throughout Jesus preaching that he kept saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's here, that the door is open, you can come on in. It's not something that's hidden, but it's something that's revealed. And so the mysteries are revealed in Christ. The mysteries are revealed in his people. So we're called to be a transparent people, a real people. Part of why we confess our sin and and our gathered worship is because we're saying we don't have it all together. We, We need God to fix us. We're not gathering here saying we're the people that have it figured out and we're better than all those bad people out there. We're saying, no, we're the people that can actually admit that we're messed up and we need help. We need God to fix us. And that's in contrast with the, the false leaders that are pretenders. We're calling our sermon this morning pretenders because there are always those that, that say that they have secret knowledge, that say they have a relationship with God, that say they have power and strength when they really don't. And, and these mystery religions and this idea of pretending, it, it reminded us this week, especially because he uses the example of the magicians that work for Pharaoh. He uses that in this text. It reminded us of the whole idea of illusions, right, and doing magic tricks. And I wanted to read the magician's oath to you, Because it's a great contrast with the just openness of the Christian faith. It says, uh, we can't do it on our own. We need God, and we just we invite anyone to come join us. But the magician's oath is, is different. It's, it's based on hidden knowledge. It says, as a magician, I promise never to reveal the secret of any illusion to a non-magician, unless that one swears to uphold the magician's oath in turn. I promise never to perform any illusion for any non-magician without first practicing the effect until I can perform it well enough to maintain... The illusion of magic. We're not here to maintain any illusion. We're not here to trick anybody. We're we're gathered as God's people to say we we can't do it and we need God's help. We need him. That's in contrast with the false leaders that say, I've got it all together. Those leaders that want to gather a following but really don't have any real relationship, really don't have any real power, any real righteousness of their own. So we'll read about that in chapter 3. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 9. Paul says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God 
having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Let's pray and ask God to uh, reveal himself to us. Father, we come here because we want to know you. We want to see you. Lord, I pray that you would just strip away any pretension that we have, trying to pretend that we're something we're not, that you would help us to be an honest people, a confessing people, that confess our need of you and confess that you are God, that you're the only real Savior in this world. Lord, help us to learn. I pray that you'd open our eyes, open our hearts, so that we would hear you, so we can be transformed by the real power that's found only in your son, Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Well, I found an interesting story about a New Zealander, a guy who lived in New Zealand, uh, named Seth, let me get his name right, no, Ivan, Ivan Sagidin was his name, his name's not really that important, but he, he had 33 traffic tickets for the same violation, and that violation was for not wearing a seatbelt. This guy just could not stand to wear a seatbelt, and he got 33 tickets, and he finally got wise, and you'd think, great, he finally learned to wear his seatbelt, Right? Well, no. He, he decided that he would start pretending that he was wearing a seatbelt. He would start wearing a fake seatbelt. Apparently, he found some kind of contraption or built it, something kind of like a clip-on tie, I guess, that just kind of hung across his shoulder, but wasn't actually belted in. So this guy was now pretending to wear a seatbelt so he wouldn't get caught, so he wouldn't get found out. And, and it's really ridiculous, right? The seatbelt's whole purpose is to save us. He's saying, I don't want that. I just want to fake it. I just want to pretend so I look like I'm safe. But I don't really want to be safe, I guess. I don't, I don't understand what was going through his mind. But I think it's, it's a sad story that, that points to us, right? I mean, it points the finger back to ourselves because that's often how we live. We say, I just want to look like I've got it together. I don't really want to be healed. I don't really want a relationship with the God of the universe that's going to change my life and start messing with things I'd rather just keep him at a distance and just look like I've got on the seatbelt. I just want to look saved. I want to look protected. I want to pretend, but I don't want to really have a real relationship with him. And it's very dangerous. And Paul says you've got to be careful because there's men like that that want, to follow, that want to lead other people, that want to gather a following, and they're just pretenders. They're not for real. And the church has to be so careful because that's just such an easy step to take as religious people, that we would go for religion instead of God himself that we would have the outward trappings, but we wouldn't have a real relationship with him. We wouldn't have that real power in a relationship with God. The first thing that Paul tells Timothy as he's encouraging him is to expect it, that it's going to happen. And he says, expect pretenders. Expect pretenders. These things are going to happen in the last days. In verse 1 through 4, he says, but understand this. So this is a very, uh, very strong language in the Greek. He's like, pay attention. Understand this. Know this. Mark this, Timothy. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And I just want to be clear, just a little side note theologically, that the last days are not just the week before Jesus comes back. Because that's usually how we think about it, right? Like, there's a volcano in Iceland. Maybe we're in the last days. Well, the the New Testament says we're in the last days. That after Jesus rose from the dead, the the last days began. The last days are the time from Jesus' rising from the dead to his returning to fix all things. Now, there, is, there are verses and scriptures that talk about things heating up, things getting more scary, more difficulty, more dangerous maybe in the, the final stages of the last days. But throughout the scripture, it says that we're in the last days. In Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Joel and says this uh, prophecy about the last days and says that you know, the Spirit's going to be poured out on all men, and that's happening now in the last days. And in Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, it says in the past... God spoke to our uh, forefathers. It says he spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in Hebrews 1, 2, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. James 5, 3 uses the same kind of language we have here in 2 Timothy 3, 1, where it talks about it in a future tense. It says, In the last days this will happen. And then a couple of verses later he says, And it's happening. So a lot of times we get thrown off because these verses, like in chapter 
uh, like in verse 1 in 2 Timothy, it, it uses kind of a future tense that makes us think, oh, it's not here yet. But Paul's saying, no, that's now. We're living in it now, and it's happening already. In the last days, these kinds of people are coming in. And then he describes these people. He says they will be lovers of self and lovers of money. What this is, is this is a chiasm, which we won't waste a lot of time on this, but just a basic form of, of poetry in the first century. Um, you know how we have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and rhyming words. You know, and we have some basic forms we use for poetry or for pop songs in our day. Well, this was a very common form they would use. They'd have a couple of re- repeated phrases at the beginning of a paragraph and then a couple of repeated phrases at the end. And then they'd have similar phrases in between. And then they'd have a really important phrase right in the middle. So that would be their poetic form. Start and end with the same, and then some same here and here. And then in the middle, they'd have something that kind of is supposed to stand out. So we'll read that to you. At the beginning, he says they'll be lovers of self and lovers of money. At the end, it says lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So you've got this contrast of, of loving the wrong things. And then he gives us this long laundry list. It says they'll be proud, they'll be arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. That's the key word in the middle. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. So he gives this long laundry list of what people will be like in the last days, which we live in now. People are like this already, saying, Timothy, watch out. Don't be surprised when people are like this. There is still evil in the world. Jesus has come to forgive our sin, but he hasn't completely done away with it all yet. We're still living in a broken world. People are still being unkind and and rude and heartless and all these things. And the center word in the middle is slanderous, which in the Greek is diabolical. You know the word diabolical? Uh, The Greek word for the devil is uh, diabolos. And so this is just the the adjective of that word. So the Greek word for the devil is the slanderer. And he's saying, in the last days, people will be slanderous. They'll be like the devil. They'll be like the ones that speak judgment and condemn rather than speaking life. And he's saying, that's what people will be like. Watch out for these people. They'll be devilish. They'll be diabolical. They'll love themselves instead of loving God. We can only love other people when we love God. We don't love God. We love ourselves. And we're all about ourselves, and we'll kill, steal, cheat, whatever we need to do to get ahead, to make ourselves happy, to make ourselves better and stronger. And Paul is saying, don't be surprised by this. It's going to happen. We're going to live in this kind of world. In Acts 20, he warns the Ephesian elders. And Ephesus, the Ephesian elders, are the same elders that Timothy is working with. Timothy was, was leading pastors and elders in the area around Ephesus, this big metropolitan area, kind of like New York City today or, or Seattle or Dallas, like a big, huge metro area. So it was you know, churches in this city and churches around the city that Timothy was leading. And Paul has an important meeting with them back in Acts chapter 20. And Paul says, watch out. Bad things are going to happen. He warns them, just like he's reminding Timothy. But don't be surprised. Expect pretenders to rise up. He says it this way. I'll give you a little illustration to go along with it. There's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It says, wolves will rise up. Pretenders will come. Acts 20, 28 through 30 says it this way. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Paul says, shepherd, feed them, lay your life down for your sheep. And there's going to be some that will rise up not to shepherd the flock, but to draw away followers. Just to get people to follow them, to feed on the sheep rather than feeding the sheep, to destroy the sheep. They're they're savage wolves. They look like sheep. They look innocent, but they're pretenders. They're not for real. And watch out for these men. They're going to come. So Paul's warned the Ephesian elders, from among your own number, from within the church, these people are going to rise up. Have any of you ever been hurt by someone from within the church? That ever happened? You're scared to be honest, aren't you? You can be honest here. It's okay. This is a safe place of honesty. All right, well, I'll raise my hand for you, all of you liars out there. Um, We've all been hurt, I think, by people in the church. We've all been attacked. We've all been hurt. And it it can be shocking, right? You can think, "But, but I thought that person loved Jesus, and here they're stabbing me in the back. I can't believe they did that. And Paul says, expect these things to come. Expect these wolves to rise up. Expect them to come, and and rather than feeding the sheep, they're going to feed themselves. 
In these last days that we find ourselves in, when, when people are doing these terrible things, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 and 25, where he describes the last days, his application is that we should make the most of our time. That yes, we should long for his return and long for everything to be better, but while we're waiting, that we should be like the good servant that helps to feed the other servants. That's one of the parables he gives there in Matthew, the end of Matthew 24. Since these last days are coming, since these hard times are coming, be like the good servant that helps and takes care of the other servants instead of the one that abuses them. See, we've got two options. Are we going to feed and care for those in this broken time, in this time of evil and injustice and all these things? Or are we going to feed and bless and take care of others? He gives another parable and he says that, that we should celebrate. It should be like a wedding party that we're just, we're just waiting for it to start. We're just in eager anticipation, ready to celebrate the return of Jesus. Are, are you spreading the joy that we have in Christ? Are, are you helping people to find the party that is in Jesus? And then he gives this third parable. He talks about investing our talents. He says, if we really trust God, if we really see him as generous, we'll take the gifts and the talents that he's given us and we'll use them. We'll take risks. We'll spend them for his glory. We'll live life to the full. And we'll say, God, you've gifted me in this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn it up and I'm going to use it for your glory. I'm going to spend it. I'm going to do my work for the glory of God. I'm going to do my service for the glory of God. I'm going to use these talents you've given me and I'm going to invest them. That's how we should spend this time in the last days. And he said that this one servant in that parable in Matthew 25 about the talents, the one servant just buried it. He said, I buried it because I knew you're not generous. I knew you're harsh. You're out to get people. So I just buried it because I knew I couldn't trust you, God. And how we use our time in these last days speaks to what we think of God. If you see God as harsh, you'll live harshly. If you see God as generous, you'll live generously and you'll share what you have with others. How are you spending your time? We live in the last days. Things are bad. From what we understand, things may get worse. But are you going to use that as an excuse to see God as harsh? Or are you going to remember that he's generous, that he's the God that gave himself for us so that you can give yourself for other people, so that you can spend your time and, and your money and your energy to, to bless others and to honor God? The, the next thing that he encourages Timothy with is that we should avoid <coughs> these pretenders. We should avoid these pretenders. Uh, it would be tempting to see these guys having some success in this world. You know, like the magicians with their impressive tricks. It could be, it could be easy to be impressed by them, right? You see leaders that, that seem to have it all together. It would be easy for Timothy to go, well, maybe I should lock arms with these guys and, and work with them. Paul's saying, no, don't, don't do that. He, he describes them in verse 5, 6, and 7. He says, they, says, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power... Avoid such people. So it gives this long laundry list of these, these people are evil. They're really, they're really pretending that they really don't have this, this true righteousness. He says, but they do have the appearance of godliness. They've got the externals, right? They've got the forms down. They're, they're going through the motions. They, they may look godly at some angle, you know, in just the right light, but they deny its power. They don't know the true power. Paul says in, in Romans 1 that that power is, is in the gospel. That's the power we have, is in knowing Jesus by faith. It says avoid such people. Verse 6 describes their methods. It says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So their methods are to take advantage of the weak. That's their methods. That's how they gather a following around them. They find people that are weak that they can get to follow them, and they... It says here in the ESV, creep into these households. And the NIV says, I think they worm their way into these households. They're not, they're not to be trusted. They're the kinds of people that, that pretend that they're something they're not to get a following and to prey on the weak, again, like wolves instead of like shepherds. And as we think about this, again, this reminds me that, that as God's people, we should be the real thing. We shouldn't be pretenders. We shouldn't just have the form, right? We shouldn't just look like the real thing, but we should be the real thing. And sometimes we can get so caught up in externals that we worry more about how we look than, than who we really are. We don't have the real power of a real relationship with Jesus. Instead, we're just kind of going through the motions. Well, it's Sunday, so I guess we're supposed to go to church. And Well, I guess I'm supposed to give this money and I'm supposed to do these things. And we do these things, fine things, good things, but... But we have no real relationship there. There's no real power for transformation in our lives. 
I found a picture here that I think illustrates this well. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a nice restaurant where they pull out the dessert tray to tempt you. I don't know if you're like me. I'm not even really much of a dessert person. Um, but I, I still get hungry for dessert when I see these trays, right? I mean, I can be full. They bring the tray out, and I'm like, wow, that looks, that looks pretty good. But if you know, they, these are, this is this company called, uh, I think it's called Fax Desserts Incorporated. Um, but they make the fake rubber Nerf ball desserts. <laughs> Have you ever actually touched one of these things? So the nice restaurants spend the extra money to get these desserts that look like the real thing. They even like have glistening drops of moisture on them. You know, it just, they look so real and it can make you hungry and you can really be drawn in and you, you're like, yeah, I want some of that. But I mean, but it's just plastic. It's just a Nerf ball. You take a bite of that, it'd probably break your tooth. It, it's, it's not the real thing. And so often that's, that's what religion is doing for us, right? It's, we're trying to like have this plastic facade. We're trying to look like something, but we, have, we don't taste like the real thing. Paul talks again and again about reality going much deeper than the external. We would actually love others because we know we're loved by God. That we would actually be generous because we know that God is generous to us. That we would actually have joy in life because of what God has done in restoring us in our relationship to Him. So I think it's important that we would remember, just like he's warning Timothy, don't lock arms with these people just because they look good on the outside, but have some discernment and, and be the real thing. Worry more about who you're becoming and, and the transforming power of walking with Jesus and walking by faith in Him. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to walk out of here and have all your stuff together and love everyone perfect tomorrow. But you're going to keep walking and you keep relying on Him because He's our strength. We don't trust in our flesh. We don't trust in some kind of secret knowledge or being flashy and impressing people with the externals. But we trust in Him to save us and to transform us more and more every day. I want to challenge us. How do... How do we spend our time? Are, are you spending your time in a way that, that reflects that, that you're really walking with Him? Or are you spending your time trying to look like you're walking with Him? What are you investing in? And I want to continue to continue investing in Him. Continue to, to seek things that stir up your passion for Christ. What are the things that you do in life that help you to love Him more? And pursue those disciplines. If you're trying to spend more time reading your Bible, that's great. And I encourage people to do that every day. But don't be banging your head against the wall, you know, reading the genealogical lists and stuff. You know, I've got to read this. But find, find the places in Scripture that stir your passion for Jesus, where you find how much he loves you so that it helps you to love others. And then you can, you can spend time studying those other things as well. But make sure you're not missing those places where you connect with him. So that, so that your time of study, so that your time in community, so that your time giving, all those things drive you to worship. All of it should be leading us back to worship Him, to, to honor Him, to appreciate Him, to delight in Him and what He's done for us. The last thing that Paul encourages Timothy with is, is that we shouldn't fear these pretenders. He, he's told them that we should expect them, right? They're coming. It's going to happen. These bad guys are coming. These bad things are going to happen. And so we should expect it to come, but we shouldn't fear them. In verses 8 and 9, he describes Janus and Jambres. So these are the, the names of these magicians that worked in the court of Pharaoh, that were imitating, that were faking the miracles that Moses would do. And they hung in there for a little while. They were faking a lot of the tricks that Moses did. But in the end, they couldn't, they couldn't keep up. Finally, they just couldn't do any of those tricks anymore. It says in verse 8, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. The, the illustration here that I think is the best is found in uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 12. In Exodus 7, 12, one of the cool things that God did for Moses was he's like, I'm going to give you the staff, you'll throw it down, it'll turn into a serpent. You take it back up, it turns into a stick. Well, there was apparently some power that Janus and Jambres had as well. They could do some pretty impressive stuff, and they were actually able to mimic that miracle themselves. But it's funny, at the end of the verse, it's like nobody really notices it, but, but Moses' serpent eats their serpent. And it's done well in the, uh, the cartoon movie, The Prince of Egypt. This is a little clip from the cartoon movie. 
um, we see the two serpents here. But in that movie, you've got these two kind of goofy magician guys working for the Pharaoh. And they're doing all this flash, and they've got the laser light show. It kind of reminded me of some churches today. But, they're, you know, they're doing all this fantastical stuff and distracting everyone. And off in the corner, Moses' snake eats their snake. And he says eventually their folly is going to be plain to all. Eventually they're going to be found out. They're not going to be able to maintain the illusion any longer. And I want to encourage you not only to not fear them because they'll be found out, but don't get sucked into that kind of living. We don't want to live that way either. We want to maintain transparency as God's people. But at the heart of the gospel is really what's at the heart of our recovery program, Celebrate Recovery, that, that we have a problem. And we need help. We need to lock arms with others that are going to help us. That's why we encourage people to get into community. And we need a God of the universe that will forgive us, who has displayed himself ultimately through Jesus Christ, through coming to earth and dying for our sins and taking those sins on himself and then rising again, not staying dead, but, but breaking from death and conquering it for us to give us hope that we can conquer death as well. I think the, the best application in remembering that is in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 would be a great psalm to just read this week and, and think about how you can grow in this knowledge as you move forward and taking the advice of, of Paul the Timothy here for ourselves. In Psalm 73 is where he says, When I saw the wicked, I envied them, and my feet almost slipped. Because they look like they have it all together. When I see those that walk away from God, it seems like they've got it all figured out. I love the language that says they're fat and sleek, which I think back then was a compliment. It doesn't sound quite as good today. But, you know, but they just, you know, maybe we would say they're ripped and buff. But, they're, you know, they seem to have it all together. They look good. They're well fed. They're getting by okay. They're not struggling like we struggle. They seem to, to, to own everything. They seem to have it all together. But he says by the end of the psalm that, that he realizes that God is his only hope. That our strength may fail. Our flesh may fall apart. But God will be our strength forever. He's our portion. He's the one that we're trusting in. We're not just trusting in what we can see now. But we're trusting in him to save us. We don't need to pretend. We can be honest with who we are. We can be honest with our failings and continue to look to him to save us. And as we do that, we'll grow in strength. We actually will change. That's, that's the miracle of the Christian life. And this is paradox. You're admitting that you struggle. You're admitting your failings. You're saying, I need a Savior. And as that happens, He actually begins to transform you. He begins to renew the longings of your heart. You begin to actually want what God wants. You actually start to live differently. As it says in Psalm 37, 4, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will grant you the desires of your heart. As you begin to delight in Him, begin to see Him for who He is, you actually actually begin to love people. We actually begin to surprise ourselves and be kind and be generous to those around us. And that's the gospel. I wanted to finish just thinking about this guy on his fake seatbelt. He got 33 traffic tickets for not wearing a seatbelt. And in the end, he decided the solution is not a real seatbelt, but it's a fake seatbelt so I can pretend that I'm safe. And it worked in a way. He didn't get any more tickets, um, but he had a head-on collision and he died. And that's when they found out what he'd been doing. And that's when the story was written about him. See, he'd been just trying to look safe. He'd been pretending that he was safe, but he wasn't really safe. And he didn't find out until the end, when he died, when his strength ran out. And he needed the strength of something else to protect him. But it wasn't there for him, because he was trusting in himself. <coughs> we don't need to be like that. We trust in our real Savior, the, the, the only one that can take care of us. Not trust in ourselves and scoff like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Say, yeah, we can be our own gods. We can do it on our own. Faith means saying, no, I'm, I'm going to trust that God will take care of me. I'm going to trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for saving us. And Lord, we come here celebrating that. Again, not, not as pretenders say that we have it all together, but as people that are hoping in you and your solution, your salvation. Lord, I pray as we continue to throw ourselves upon you and continue to trust in you to fix what's wrong in our own hearts, that you would do it, that you would transform us. And just your, your generosity that you poured out to us will begin to overflow from us to those around us. I pray that we would have a transforming effect on our community, on our families 
in our homes and the places that we work. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you will stand, let's sing this last song together. The Bible talks about um, light as being this revealing thing. Um, it talks about the truth of God as being a light that reveals um, the world and us for who we really are. Um, so just kind of as a tie into the ser- sermon, I wanted, we wanted to sing this song um, just to talk about um, just that we have nothing to fear if we, uh, if we truly stand in the light and as God is in the light that we um, will be seen for who we are and he knows who we are and we don't have anything to fear. So let's just kind of sing this together uh, and take hold of that fact um, that we shouldn't have to pretend anything. So let's sing together. darkness out of shame by the cross you are the truth you are the life you are the way since a marvelous light I'm running out of darkness out of shame by the cross you are the truth you are the life you are
darkness out of shame by the cross you are the truth you are the life you are the way singing into marvelous life God, you are the light. Pray that you would help us to live in the light, that you would help us to live lives that are transformed by your goodness to us. Pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.